Welcome to uh, Business Matters Monday, everybody. Your uh, normal host, Michelle O'Brien, is uh, a little bit busy right now, so I'm going to be hosting for her instead. I'm Cole Greenup, and uh, I'm glad for all these listeners out here this morning tuning in. So today I'm going to be here with Governor Mike Dunleavy, and we're going to be having a little bit of an open forum discussion, and I'm glad to have him here. How are you doing this morning? It's great to be here, and it's a beautiful day. Yeah. I joke around with people. I hear it's like this every day of the year at 365, but we know that's not true. But even when it's cloudy and rainy, this is a great place. This is the uh, first city I ever came to when I landed here in Alaska in 1983 and went out to Prince wow. of Wales Island. So it's got a special place uh, in my heart uh, with regard to my Alaska adventure. Yeah, it is a, it's kind of a nice welcome into the last frontier. It is. It is. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful town and uh, a lot of great people here. So you said you came up here in the 80s. What, uh, what inspired that decision? I always wanted to go to Alaska. I always dreamed about going to Alaska, you know, saw movies, read books, uh, talked to people that came up here. And uh, I had an opportunity to get on with a, um, a um, logging company, Gildersleeve Log, out in Whale Pass, and uh, jumped at the chance, came up, and never looked back. Uh, yeah. As I tell people, I'd have to live eight lifetimes to do everything I want to do here in the state of Alaska. It's an incredible place. You know, I hear that story a lot. People coming because they're so enamored with the idea of Alaska, and then they get here, and it's everything that they wanted it to be. It's yeah. it's exciting. I love that yeah. uh, it's not just a local thing to enjoy. Like all the cruise ships, all the all the passengers and guests we get. I've never met a person that's been disappointed coming to Alaska. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. So. Did you have anything you wanted to come on to talk about today? Because I was a uh, little bit of an informal fill-in as a host yeah, today. Yeah, I didn't no, no. get much. I just, um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of turmoil in the world today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of angst uh, in the lower 48. But I think here in Alaska, we have some uh, tremendous opportunities uh, staring at us, as we always had in the state of Alaska. Our, um, our mineral wealth, our oil and gas wealth, um, you know, our timber wealth, um, all that potential is still there. If we can just get the right policies in place, that'll mm-hmm. let us... Uh, unlock the use of those um, resources. So, for example, we were over in Japan about a week and a half, two weeks ago, talking with Japanese officials because um, because of world events, including the Ukraine-Russia war and the um, the push to be uh, have less carbon in the air, they're looking more and more at Alaska gas. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that uh, we may get to a point here sooner than later, hopefully in the next few months, in which uh, we uh, ink a deal. The reason I say that is, again, because because of the war in Ukraine with Russia, a lot of the Japanese partnerships that they had in the uh, Russian Far East, uh, they pulled out of. And so their, uh, what they thought was going to be potential gas for them, for example, on uh, Sakhalin Island, looks like there's not going to be. At the same time, uh, people in Japan don't really want to start up a lot of nukes because of Fukushima. <laughs> And then their government is really looking at uh, uh, a very low carbon uh, or just uh, zero carbon. So that really leaves uh, only gas. And Alaska is uh, one of the closest uh, locales for gas. In uh, uh, America, Alaska being stable, reliable. We shipped gas to Japan in 1969 for 50 years out of Cook Inlet. Uh, They're ready to re-engage in a discussion on moving some of that North Slope gas. So I think things are looking promising. Uh, I'm not going to promise anything or guarantee anything until we have uh, signed papers in hand, but I would say that uh, it's looking pretty good. Wow. I had seen that uh, in the newspaper recently, some of the ties between, like diplomatic and uh, trade ties between Russia and Japan have been deteriorating around some of their fishing islands. Right, yeah. And that's uh, interesting to see that kind of change. And Japan's always been a big uh, buyer of our seafood mm-hmm. um, for, for, for many decades. And so Alaska being the, uh, as we say, the northernmost state, 
the westernmost state, in some cases the easternmost state, <laughs> because the Aleutians go across the international date line. But we're we're fairly close to uh, uh, to Japan, and uh, Japan is one of our strongest allies in the Pacific, uh, actually in the world, and they feel the same about us. I think this is an opportunity, given what's happened with uh, uh, a lack of gas, a lack of uh, restricted energy sources in the world for us and the Japanese to once again form a partnership that we hope endures for 50 years with regard to uh, that north-south gas. I think that's great, um, especially since uh, the lasting impacts of the conflict in Ukraine have been pretty aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as far as food goes as well, because I didn't realize how much of the global wheat production comes out of the Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was younger, uh, in the 70s, when the Soviet Union still existed, we used to, the United States would actually sign agreements with uh, the Soviet Union to export grain to the Soviet Union. Uh, because part of the reason was the Soviet system was really not good at producing anything mm -hmm. except trouble. Right. One thing I read recently that I thought was very interesting was that um, in the efforts to remove pests to keep their fields more clean, it also drove down their uh, population and their ecology for their flora and fauna. Because yeah. when you got rid of the, the mice and the rats, you got rid of yeah. the birds, you got rid of everything in the chain that went up. And so those things stopped fertilizing their soil. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of uh, 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 science and thinking oftentimes during the Soviet times. And like you said, they would they would shoot birds too because yeah. that way the birds won't eat the grain. But when you shoot the birds, you have a pest problem. So mm -hmm. things got out of whack over there. Um, so you know the the uh, Ukraine that part of the Ukraine, eastern Ukraine and uh, uh, southwestern Russia produced a lot of wheat, uh, and they produced a lot of uh, sunflower oil. Eighty percent of the world's sunflower oil, I believe, comes from that region. Well, that's mm. going to be disrupted now. The, um, the pandemic uh, showed a number of us here in Alaska that um, these supply chains are fragile, a lot more fragile than we thought. As a result of that, we've embarked upon a, um, a process of making sure Alaska is as independent as possible mm -hmm. in, in the near future with regard to food, with regard to energy, uh, with regard to anything and everything we could produce up here. We feel it's in the best interest of Alaska to, to start down that road. We, uh, I think we became pretty complacent relying on the food, uh, food change and the other supply chains for the last several decades. But again, the pandemic and now this war has shown us that um, nothing is certain, nothing is absolute. And the best thing we can do is prepare to uh, take care of ourselves. And so that's why we're had, we, had a, uh, we had an energy conference a couple of weeks ago that we invited people from all over the country and some from all over the world came to it to uh, discuss the energy possibilities in Alaska oil, gas, renewables, nukes, geothermal, you name it. And um, uh, last week we were up in Inanna, we did a ribbon cutting for the 140,000 acre agricultural project up there, mm -hmm. which has real possibility of producing a lot of food for Alaska. We've also been talking about food security and we've had some food security meetings with our task force, which we're going to, uh, in part, make sure that we have uh, a food storage in all of our hubs for all of our smaller communities as well. And um, again, continue to work on driving down the cost of energy in the state of Alaska. So again, the goal is food security, food independence as much as possible, energy independence internally as much as possible, and be able to hopefully export uh, things to the rest of the world like we have for some time, but increase mm -hmm. that in the future. Wow. I, uh, that's something that's really important to me. I've been seeing that a lot more locally is uh, the push to end food insecurity, or at least to help curb the problem. Like. Uh, the Ketchikan Agricultural Producers Association is trying to connect home growers with uh, like door-to-door -door sellers, yeah. people who are in uh, restaurants, people who are in uh, groceries. So yeah. 
trying to get a little more of our own ground here in terms of, hey, if this happens to another country like Ukraine where 30% of the world's wheat production goes down, it won't affect us as uh, directly. Yeah, and I think here in Ketchikan, even though it's a cooler climate and it has uh, a lot of rain, the uh, ability to have greenhouse production here, I think, is um, is uh, a, a real possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, ex uh, you know, extensive greenhouses in terms of uh, uh, your leafy green vegetables, etc. I think... Um, I think Ketchikan has some real potential there. Further north, you go in Alaska, like we mentioned up in the interior, where it can get up to 100 degrees in the summer, and uh, you're going to have a longer growing season for uh, for field crops, such as uh, various grains and uh, even uh, things like canola uh, to produce vegetable oil. But uh, no matter where you look in Alaska, whether it's mariculture in southeast Alaska, whether it's greenhouse production in southeast Alaska, uh, the Matsu Valley, Fairbanks area, all across Alaska, we have potential to feed ourselves from our from our seafood to grains to leafy vegetables to livestock and um, again I think what has happened over the decades is we've become complacent and we believe that these supply chains would last forever we now know that's not the case we've experienced it we're experiencing it now and so uh, again that's why we're embarking upon a uh, an approach to make sure that we're food and energy secure uh, going to Alaska's future that's just important because there's very, very few actually renewable resources. And so trying to direct ourselves somewhere that's more productive for long-term growth, I think is good. Because yeah. the more we can center our own uh, communities to be self-sufficient, the better we can do. Because imagine there's an issue with AML that affects the whole of Alaska. Yeah, exactly. And if we can decentralize some of those supply chains, like you were saying, I think it would only serve to benefit us. Yeah, and I think Alaskans are willing to pay a little bit more than what they get out of Seattle, is, you know, especially if it's closer, it's more reliable, it's fresher. So uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic you're gonna see more and more uh, agriculture spring up in various parts of the state. And uh, we're gonna do everything we can as a state to support that sector and help with uh, some of the uh, capital issues and the infrastructure and the systems. Hmm. I uh, I was just talking to uh, Dan Ortez earlier today, actually, about uh, mariculture, and I'm all for one. I, I'm all across the board a big supporter of it because not only the the kelp, the the you know oysters. The, the oysters, yeah. Because I was thinking that a lot of those uh, anything other than farmed fish, because the fish need uh, the movement for the musculature and the fat growth, whereas Oysters, shellfish, things like that, they're all uh, filter feeders. And so they don't actually need large areas to produce. They just need healthy waters. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Alaska right now is a leader in terms of uh, permitting process. We have one of the fastest permitting processes, if not the fastest wow. in the country. Uh, I think you're going to see mariculture take off. Again, like uh, like uh, land agriculture, I think you're going to see a more of that take off as well. But here in Southeast, I think the sky's the limit when it comes to mariculture. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, businesses in that area popping up lately, like especially over in uh, Craig, their uh, their kelp farm has been booming. It's yeah. really moving a lot. It's It's been really exciting to see. And you're going to see kelp, uh, and it's happening now, kelp not just uh, for human consumption, but also to sequester carbon. Certain varieties do that. And um, animal feed. Wow. Um, because some of the kelp, actually, the, the, the data seems to indicate it reduces the methane, for example, in cattle. So a kelp, uh, kelp farming in Alaska, I think is, uh, like I said, it's got some real potential, real, uh, real growth uh, uh, potential, and uh, we're gonna do everything we can to foster that. Yeah, um, part of the reason I really think it's exciting is that um, recently I learned that it's a misnomer that uh, 
flora and fauna on land produce most of our breathable oxygen, where about 70% of all breathable oxygen that we consume comes from the ocean. Yeah. And so yeah. the more we can push into that instead of focusing on deforestation, logging, things like that, those are all problems. But if we can produce more oxygen rather than stop less oxygen being taken, I think that's a better idea anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and again, uh, the mariculture industry um, uh, hits on a number of issues that uh, are concerning to people. And having it in our backyard and employing our own people, I think, is, uh, is really uh, the way to go. Yeah, anything to bolster local uh, communities and economies. Right, right. Um, so we, uh, you know, we ended a session. We didn't have a special session this year, which was good for everybody. Mm-hmm. We have a budget surplus. We have the largest PFD in history coming, uh, coming to people. Um, we're paying down some of our debts. We're saving money. Uh, our crime rates are down over the past couple years, uh, ever since SB 91 was uh, repealed. We have the real potential, as I mentioned, for uh, a gas line. The Anchorage International Airport went from the fifth busiest uh, cargo airport in the world to the fourth, and there's a lot of investment going there. So, again, I think with Alaska's uh, resources as well as its uh, location on the globe, we've got a lot going for us. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of upside to Alaska. For decades, we've relied mainly on oil. But I think that uh, although we'll continue to have oil as a mainstay in our portfolio, I think, once again, capitalizing on our location, uh, agriculture, we've got more farmland. That's interesting. We have more farmland potential in Alaska than many other states. Mm -hmm. And the thing we have, and you guys know this here better than anyone in southeast Alaska, is we have more water than any other state, more fresh water than any other state. More coastline, too. Yeah. And what's happening down in lower 48 with the droughts, um, Alaska, again, is going to be positioned well to um, to capitalize on its resources, including water. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was it, two years ago that we had uh, severe droughts throughout southeast, like level three droughts, don't have fires, none of that. So even during our extreme drought that we had, it was still raining. Yeah. The ground was still wet. The soil was still fertile. Yeah. It didn't affect us to the same degree that other places droughts are. Yeah, Alaska's been blessed with great resources mm-hmm. and um again, uh, managing them and capitalizing on them uh to to build a, a a stronger, bigger, better Alaska is uh is where we need to go. Again, we we don't want to find ourselves so reliant on others that if there is a issue with the supply chains or if there is a another catastrophe uh such as this uh this virus or what's happening in Russia, it doesn't disrupt our situation to such an extent that uh, we can't feed ourselves or we can't uh, energize ourselves. So I think we learned from the the virus. I think we're learning from what's happening with the supply chains. And um, I think there's no looking back. We're going to have a much more healthier, independent Alaska. It has been interesting seeing people uh, come up with workarounds to still be able to have community events, public arts, speeches, community, like uh, seeing the creativity that people take to deal with these issues over the last two years has been really uh, eye-opening. And I think it's been really great to see people out in the community, like connecting still. I think people forget that uh, people are pretty resilient. We've been around for a long, long time. We've had to deal with a a lot of issues uh, throughout history. And um, each generation has its challenges, but... uh, uh, I think we just get better and stronger as time goes on, to be honest with you. Am I enjoying Catch a Can? Yes, I am. Thanks for asking. Uh, I, have, I was down here about a year ago. We try and get down here a couple times, uh, a, couple times a year. And uh, again, we're going to be coming back because we want to visit uh, uh, not just Catch a Can. Uh, we want to have continued discussions with the, the city of Saxman. And we're going to hop over to Metlakatla, talk with those folks about uh, some things the state might be able to help them with in terms of dams. Mm-hmm. 
uh, transmission, that sort of thing. And uh, again, just to keep strengthening things like strengthening uh, things like the ferries, uh, mariculture, uh, try and help folks with uh, potential um, uh, land to build uh, uh, more affordable housing on. And there's things the state can do. We're working with folks here, and we're going to keep uh, keep having those discussions and uh, move some. I think some uh, pretty good ideas forward. So when you talk about Saxman, what sort of uh, legislation or action are you trying to bring to that community? Well, I mean, Saxman is, um, you know, uh, I got I have to tell you, I take my hat off to the mayor and the, the folks that work for him because um, hey, he's really looking out for what's, uh, uh, what's important. For example, um, making sure that they have affordable housing, making sure that their uh, sewer and water system is functioning, um, you know, l- looking at uh, making sure that they have transportation and can use the transportation system they have to, to get across them at Lacatlin back and forth. And so, um, you know, he's looking ahead, not backwards. And the, the, I got to also say the folks at Lacatlin, we met with them. They were here in uh, Saxman as well. They, too, are looking at a whole host of possibilities for their community. Um, and they got a lot going for them in terms of uh, fisheries, in terms of uh, uh, hydroelectric power. Uh, they have a, a pretty large runway at uh, the airport. Um, there's a number of things that they're looking at doing there, and we're uh, we're excited to engage them in the conversation and see what we can do to assist with that. So, I wow. think um, I think there's a lot going on in Southeast. Um, there's going to be a lot more going on in Southeast, and um, again, we uh, we're glad to just be engaged with uh, the conversations mm-hmm. and uh, where we can assist. Nice. So, on the topic of affordable housing, what kind of actions or steps do you think we could take to actually help that problem? Because Atlanta, uh, the Metro Atlanta, recently. Sw- uh, pass some legislation that uh, you have to be a resident of Atlanta, you have to uh, live in one of your two units, and you can't own more than two units. And that's part of the way that they're trying to curb their housing crisis right now. Yeah, and that, you know that's that's their way of looking at it. I think the I think Alaska, we have resources that maybe they don't. We have tremendous amounts of land. Even though mm-hmm. Southeast is hemmed in by the Tongass National Forest, we still have some land, some state land down here that um, you know, we we uh, introduced a, a land reform bill into the legislature this year. Unfortunately, it didn't pass, but uh, a comprehensive land bill such as that uh, could have in it um, uh, state land uh, transfers to some of our boroughs. If we do that, for example, here in the Ketchikan uh, Gateway Borough, if we transfer land, state land, there, there would be additional land then for folks to build housing, <laughs> which would lower the cost. And so these are the kind of discussions that we're having. Yeah. And... Um, I'm uh, I'm very optimistic that we can get to a place where we can affect the cost of housing through a process such as uh, mm-hmm. land transfer here in Southeast. Um, my big concern is that as far as development cost goes with the Southeast, like building developing land for it to actually be buildable is very expensive. And that makes me wonder why uh, instead of tackling these problems at the source, like the landlords and housing, creating more space because i do understand that in in due time that'll become very necessary but as it is now personally and this is just me i think there needs to be some level of more direct action that could actually affect people within the next five years yeah but if you have if you have limited amounts of land to build on the Mm -hmm. cost of the land is available keeps going up that Mm -hmm. increases the cost over the uh, the overall uh the housing that you're going to put on that land Mm -hmm. If you can de-risk that, reduce the cost of that land considerably, that means the cost of your overall housing is going to be low too. And so, you know, is once again, it's what the state a state can do. A, a state has land. The state uh, can have discussions about transferring some of that land to the borough, and um, uh, that's uh, that's a resources that we have plenty of in the state. We have we have land here in Southeast, and so 
again, by doing that, that's our way at the state level of reducing the cost. Locally, those discussions on, um, mm-hmm. you know, how uh, uh, how the house is going to be built, how many in a lot, that's something for the local folks. That goes down to the borough and the yeah. municipalities. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. It's just something that matters a lot is uh, housing costs keep going up and wages stagnate across our country. It's uh, It's just something that personally I feel like needs to be dealt with on the forefront of our minds. Yeah, and all those discussions I think are happening here. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. I'm sorry I couldn't be a little more prepared since no, I was a fill in, but I'm really glad to talk to you. Yeah. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your stay here in Ketchikan. Yeah. We'll be back. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, you got a great town here, great people. And uh, every time we come down here, we enjoy uh, the interaction. So, uh, well, we we'll appreciate that. You bet. Take care. We're going to head back to the music, folks. You have a good day.